Welcome to the Grace Vineyard Podcast, where we are building growing communities of worshipers who are becoming like Christ, empowered to do His work. We hope you enjoy this message. So what we're presenting today is three days worth of what we had up at camp. So I'm going to try to condense it as much as I can. Ron said I could take as long as I want, so we'll probably get out of here at two, okay? So just letting you guys know what's going on. But anyways, uh, and then, and then at the next week, I love baptisms. I think baptisms are absolutely amazing because they're an outward expression in public of, yes, I love God. Yes, I want to serve God. Yes, I acknowledge that I was a sinner, but I want to come up and I desire to be with you. And I got to baptize six kids. God, God, yes. We have, we have a few. If you guys were here, you got to see it, right? But that was amazing. Yesterday, I got to do a wedding. And that was so much fun. I absolutely love weddings. You know, I love celebrations. I like being happy. Funerals are really hard. But, but a wedding is just a celebration of two becoming one, and it's amazing. And, and uh, I don't even think I got asked to do that uh, wedding. They, they, they kind of told me I was going to do the wedding, and and then they told me they found out I was moving, so they, they rushed the date, and they got married on leap year, which the husband was totally stoked because now he only has to buy a present once every four years, you know? <laughs> He's either cheap or frugal. I don't know what to call him, but, but I got to do that. And then Ron says, hey, Christian, do you want to speak? You guys, my absolute favorite, favorite thing to do in life is to talk about God, you know? So when Ron says, do you want to speak? I said yes before I even thought it through. Okay, and what's crazy about that is, yeah, I've only had really, you know, this last week to to really kind of get things in order, get rid of stuff, get packed, and I'm just like overwhelmed with how much stuff I've got to do, but I was like, yes, I want to, because I love you guys. I love talking to you guys, and I love getting the feedback afterwards, because not only do I I get to let God speak into your lives through what, what, you know, he says through me. But you guys build me up and help me become a better Christian. A lot of you guys are like, Christian, you really screwed up when you said this. Makes me better. And when you say, hey, Christian, I love it when you said that, I usually say, I did? But, but it's really cool how God's been working and kind of coordinating all this. And, and you know, it's, it's great. Now, as far as the shirt goes, I wore blue because it brings out the color of my eyes really well, you know? I want my eyes to be popping, but you guys gave me so many hugs and told me you're going to miss me so much. My eyes are absolutely red right now, you know, so the shirt didn't work. So thank you guys. Thank you for that. So anyways, what we're talking about today is we're talking about authentic versus artificial, okay? And one of the reasons why I really wanted to speak to you guys on this is because this has been a personal struggle of mine since I was little. Okay, I, I, I grew up in the 70s, and some of you can't relate to that because if you're old like Mike, you grew up in the 40s. But, but the thing is, is, the thing is, he said he would be my target because Kevin's not here, okay? So, and I noticed my boy is sitting next to his wife, so I can't make fun of him. She'll kill me. So anyways, we're talking about authentic versus artificial. Now, in order to understand what I'm talking about, let me give you the definition of authentic per Webster's. It says, authentic is of undisputed origin, genuine, based on facts, accurate, or reliable. That's authentic. I want to be authentic, you know? I want to be reliable. I want to be accurate. I want to be 
genuine, right? That's what we should all want. We should all want to be authentic because as we've talked about before, God created you to be you. He didn't create you to be like Mark. He didn't create you to be like me. He didn't create, he didn't create Lynette to be like Susan. He created us all to be us. And in that, he wants us to be the best me that I can be. And the only way that I can be the best me that I can be is to be genuine, is to be authentic. Because artificial is made or produced by human beings rather than occurring naturally, especially as a copy of something natural. Right? If we think of something like that, there's a couple of things that come to mind for me. Honey. That's the official sweetener of the world, right? Honey. Honey doesn't go bad. They found honey that was buried with pharaohs like thousands of years ago, cracked it open, and it's still good. Bee pollen. Oh my gosh, read up on bee pollen. I, I hate to nerd out on you guys, but I, I love having bee pollen on my acai bowl because I love the flavor of it. And one day I just happened, to, eh, I wonder what bee pollen does because I have no idea besides it tastes good. And it does so much for us, so much for us. That is an authentic sweetener. Now we look at all these artificial sweeteners. Now when I was a kid, sweet and low was it. Sweet and low is, you saw those pink packets everywhere and everybody thought they were being absolutely healthy by, by taking the sweet and low and using that causes cancer, right? Kills you, right? That's what artificial is. And I'll be honest with you, wearing a button-down shirt, I kind of feel a little artificial, so <laughs> hang on a sec. Let me, uh, let me get real with you guys. I'm going to get authentic, okay? Okay? Yeah. Okay, usually it's a jersey, usually it's a jersey, but today I had to hide a jersey so I could be me. So, so we want to be authentic, and so how do we become authentic? How do we live that authentic life? So we're going to go over that, okay? There's two parts that equal the third part, and I'm going to bring up a really good friend of mine named Bryce Ost. According to him, according to Bryce, he's my favorite Ost. Although Kimberly makes the chicken tacos, so um, you're okay. <laughs> you should learn to cook. <laughs> All right. So so Bryce is gonna Bryce is gonna read. Uh, he's gonna read a verse, and we'll go over it, and I'll explain how this how this deals with what we're talking about. Take it away. Is yeah okay. This is First Kings chapter eighteen, verses thirty-two through thirty-eight. If you care. Um, wow. <laughs> Hopefully they care. They're here. Okay. okay. <laughs> and with the stones, he built an altar in the name of Jehovah, and he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order, and cut the bowl in pieces, and, he laid, and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water, and pour them on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran about the altar, and he filled the trench with, also with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening oblation that Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Jehovah, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Israel, 
Let it be known that this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Jehovah, hear me, that this people may know that, that, that you, Jehovah, are God, and that you hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of Jehovah fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. All right. So, so in order to really take that into what we're talking about is authentic God, okay? The first key to being authentic is realizing that we worship an authentic God, okay? At this point, Elijah was the last prophet of God in the kingdom at that point. They started worshiping Baal, okay? And through my research, he was basically like the weatherman God, okay, so to speak. He was the God of precipitation and rain, okay? And since they were going through a drought, Elijah stood up and says, hey, why don't we do this? Why don't we have all your, all your prophets of Baal get together and I'll, I'll worship my God, and we'll see who accepts the offering. So they started first thing in the morning. There was 450 prophets of Baal. 450, okay? And they started, they started praying first thing in the morning. Nothing happened. Amazing, huh? Nothing happened. About midday, they're working themselves into a frenzy because something has to happen. They actually started cutting themselves, so that thinking that this is going to make Baal honor them and light the fire. Okay? Can you imagine watching him half day? This is the way I see Elijah. Elijah's like, hey, you want a knife? You know? He's sitting there watching because he knows. He knows who God is. He remembers who God is. He remembers that he worships a God that is authentic, that created the heavens, the earth, and everything that they see. God created rain. Why would, you, why would you go to somebody else for that? If I want chicken tacos, I go to Kimberly Oast. Right? I don't ask Mark, hey, Mark, can you talk to Kim for me so I can get tacos? It doesn't work. She'll tell him no the same way she tells me no. But, but the thing is, is all these people are going to ball. Oh, ball, make it rain. And, you know, the thing is, is we'll sacrifice to you. And, oh, it didn't work. He must be angry with us, so we'll sacrifice again. So for three years, or, yeah, I think it was three years that there was a drought. And they're praying to ball. And Elijah's sitting there going, if it was me, I'd be like, hey, dummies, what the hell? You know, just to be honest, what are you doing? You know, you need to worship God. So he watches them and gets them into a frenzy. And then he says, all right, hey, uh. Come over and bring some water. And can you imagine, look on people's face, wait a second. You want to burn this offering up, and you want to douse it in water. Okay? We have a fireman in here. Do you ever put water on something that you want to burn? No, right? You don't. You don't put water on it. And then not only did he, did he have him put water on it, but he kept going. Did it three times. Filled the trench with water. Okay? And just... So you guys know, a sia is about eight and a half liters of water. So that's how deep it was. So imagine if it goes all the way around, or all the, way around the altar, that's a lot of water. Okay? And so then he basically prays to God, hey, God, burn this up. Now God, being God, says, okay, watch this. 
instantly, right? Now, not only does it burn up the meat and do that sweet smell stuff, what happens when we burn meat, that's why we grill, right? Not only does it do that, but it burns the stones. It burns the water and it burns the ground. When we seek God out, there are so many times where I'm expecting, okay, God, let this happen. And this happens. Because he's an authentic God. He is authentic, right? And, and the part, that, the part that, uh, that we didn't read was as soon as that happened, everybody fell on their face and started worshiping God. Right? You know what happened to the prophets of Baal? Right? Now, how does this really relate to us? Um, you guys, there's so many times where we get caught up in the world. We get caught up in that artificial gods. Like, I was in Korea. I was, a, I was a Marine. I was in Korea, and I have this fascination with watches. I love watches. Well, when I was over there, I bought myself a Rorex. Okay? It looks just like a Rolex, okay? This thing was awesome, cost me like 20 bucks. And the only, well, there's two ways you could tell that it wasn't real, is, is if you looked at the face where it said Rolex, it still looked like it said Rolex, but if you looked really close, it was actually an R, like a really skinny R, instead of the L, you know? And then the, the second hand, you know, the clocks, the seconds, moved. On a real Rolex, it moves smooth, right? So I get back, I get back to to Camp Pendleton, you know, I get stationed at Camp Pendleton, and some young Marine sees my Rorex. <laughs> and he was like, oh my God, I gotta have that watch. He was so, like, obsessed with getting this watch for me, and then I told him, dude, it's a Rorex. He must have thought that I, I had a speech impediment or something, because <laughs> he didn't understand that I'm saying Rorex, Rorex. R-O-R-E-X. But he became so obsessed over this $20 watch, he ended up giving me $300 for this watch. And the whole time I'm telling him it's fake. But we get so obsessed and so blinded by, by fake things in this world that we forget what's real. You know, he was ready to sell his soul for this stupid watch. And, and it, that's exactly, it's just a watch right? But we get caught up in that, and, and we forget that, man, authentic is so much better. Authentic is so much more real, you know? Like, my favorite car on the planet is a Rolls-Royce, and it's not because it's a Rolls-Royce. I mean, yeah, okay, maybe it is, but, but, but the thing is, is I love Rolls-Royces because they're handmade. They're put together with love craftsmanship, and it's so beautiful to see. Now, on the outside of a roll, okay, yeah, that'd be lying. I like the way they look outside, too. But, but, but the thing is, is, is it's authentic. It's authentically made. It's not made by machines. It's not made by, by people who don't care. These people lovingly assemble this car, and man, they purr like kittens. They're just absolutely amazing, but it's an authentic handmade or man-made thing that is just absolutely beautiful. But the God that we worship is authentic. And his love for us is absolutely authentic. He knows who we are. He knows what we've done. And he authentically loves us anyways. There's been times in my life where I, I knew that I didn't deserve God's love, but he loved me anyways. 
He loved the sinner as much as he loves the Christian. You know, and I talk about my struggle with authentic versus artificial is, like I said, I grew up in the 70s and my parents were divorced. Okay, now that right there, kids are cruel. Kids are cruel, you know? So not only did I have that happen, but my mom was in prison. My dad, I didn't, had no idea where he was. As far as I knew, he abandoned me. So kids were absolutely brutal at that point. You know, they couldn't really pick on me physically because I was a little scrapper, but man, words hurt worse than a punch to the face sometimes. So, so the way that I found out to deflect those blows is to be somebody that I'm not. You know, I had a period where I was, I, I wanted to be like, I don't know, I wanted to be cool. The 50s were in, so I acted like that was the life for me, and it wasn't. I wasn't being me. I was, I was trying to find out about all these bands that I didn't listen to just so I could sound cool to people. Then I went through my punk rock stage, which, you know, I, I still remember the first time I heard punk rock music, I was like, what are they saying? What the heck is this guy yelling at me? But, but I wanted so bad to fit in with this crowd that nobody messed with because nobody in those days wanted to really mess with the punk rockers because they'd smash you in the face with their face, you know? I wasn't really down with that, but I saw it. So, you know, hey, these guys, nobody's going to mess with them. So I forced myself to listen to this stuff. And I ended up falling in love with it. But, you know, the thing is, is, the thing is, is uh, I, I tried to be something that I wasn't. And then as I got older and I be, grew into manhood, be, being a man means that you can beat anybody up, that you're not afraid to fight at the drop of a hat. That's what I thought being a man was. If you were scared of me, that meant you respected me. If, if I could make you do whatever I wanted you to do, I was a man. That's not authentic. That's not what men are created for. That's not what God created me to be. But this is what I struggled with. Up until I would say about 10 years ago, I wasn't very authentic. Even when I first became a Christian, I, I wasn't really authentic. I would come to church and be like, hey, you know, hi, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. And then, you know, who was that? I don't know, you know. But, but about 10 years ago, I decided, you know what, God created me to be me. So that's who I'm going to be. I sound like Dr. Seuss. But, but I'm going to be who you made me to be, God. And it might have been actually more than 10 years now I'm thinking about it. I might have a better track record than I think. But, but the thing is that I started being me, and I stopped caring about what the world thought. When my wife and I got married, I had hundreds of friends. You know, literally, I had hundreds of friends, and, and it was rad. And then I became a Christian, and I had one friend left from that original group set. And that was a hard, hard, hard thing to take because I worked so hard to get those friends. And by working hard, I tried to be the man that they needed me to be to be my friend. So then I started being authentic and, and noticed that the people that are my friends matter. Now... Now they matter in my life, not so much because they're just my friends, but because they speak into my life. They help keep me on track with where I'm supposed to be. So being authentic has given me authentic friends, authentic family, the LaCroix family. They're my family, right? My sparkling unicorn in the back there. But, but the thing is, is they become part of my family because I'm authentic with them. They're authentic with have to hide who they are. They don't have to be anything that, other than what they are to be in my family. And I love that. Absolutely love that. So authentic God.
So, next part. You ready, Kalen? All right. Now, I got to tell you, the reason why we're doing this a little different rather than have it up on the screen is because I designed this message for me. I was being a little selfish, okay? Uh, when it's up on the screen or I'm reading it in my Bible, I have a tendency to read past it or read forward, and I miss what's being said, okay? So, so what, what I did is I asked these guys to come up and, and read it to us so that we listen and focus on what they're saying. And, and so, so, like I said, it was selfish on my part because that's exactly what I do. I don't know if anybody else is wired like me, but this is why I did it. This is Kalen, by the way. Son of Fry. Go ahead. All right, so this is Matthew fourteen twenty-two through 31. Um, it's the story of Jesus walking on water. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? Right on. Right? <clears throat> now, in, in, in that right there, I believe that there's a very valuable lesson that I can't overlook, that it doesn't, doesn't really relate, but I have to teach it anyways. I have, to, I have to speak it. Is prior to all of this happening, John the Baptist was beheaded. John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin, whom he loved. So when Jesus found out about that, since he was God became man, he experienced the emotions that we do. And he tried removing himself so he could mourn his, his cousin. He could pray his cousin. When people found out that Jesus were around, there were thousands of people that gathered around him. Can you imagine if my cousin died and I just want to be left alone, I would have made it known that, hey, I want to be left alone. But Jesus set himself aside, and taught the 5,000. Not only did he teach the 5,000 all day, but when it started getting dark and it was time to send them to go get food, he tells his disciples, hey, no, you feed them. And, and they said, well, we got five loaves and two fish. How are we going to feed 5,000 men? Keyword being men. There's women and children there too, so it's actually more than 5,000. And Jesus said, go ahead and do it anyways. Feed them. And then when they were done, they had 12 bushels of bread left over. That's how God, God treats us, doesn't he? When we, need, when we need a piece of fish, he'll give us a whole fish. When we need some bread, he'll give you 12 baskets left over. And, and, and he, Jesus did. He set himself aside, and, and he taught those people, and he, he had compassion on them and gave them exactly what they needed and set himself aside. So after all of this, after they cleaned up everything, it was Jesus' time. And he said, go on ahead of me. Go out on the boat. I'll meet up with you later. So you've got stormy seas. You know, it's first thing in the morning. You see the fog coming in. And all of a sudden, you see a guy walking towards you. 
on the water. This is what, this is what they're seeing. I'm going to be honest. I would love to say, well, I would have recognized Jesus right away because I was a disciple and I followed him and I saw him do all these things. No, I'd be scared. I, I, let's just be honest. I would be like freaking out, just like the disciples, like, whoa, what is this? And Peter, in a moment of pure faith, says, Jesus, if that's you, let me walk out to you on this water. Authentic faith right there, right? I love Peter because he's so human. He's so human. I can relate to Peter. As much as I would like to say that, that I'm, not, I'm, I'm not like Peter, he's the perfect, he's the perfect example of, of us sometimes. And the story is a perfect example of authentic faith versus artificial faith. Right? When he's like, Jesus, let me walk out on water to you. And he steps out onto that water. Right? I would do a little usher move if I knew how to dance out on that water. If I'm walking on water, I would be like, this is the bomb. No other man has done this but you and me. This is great. But he gets distracted, doesn't he? He looks and sees the waves, and he gets scared. He forgets who his eyes were fixed upon. He knows who Jesus is. He knows what Jesus is doing. And when he, when he had his eyes fixed on him and he was following him, he was walking on water. Right? It's amazing. I get goosebumps thinking about walking on the water. How cool would that be? The shortcut is across the lake. I got this. You know? <laughs> Dude, it would be rad. It'd be like, that's a shark. Whoa, walk over here. But, but he's, he's walking on the water towards Jesus. It's such a great thing. And all of a sudden, he gets distracted. And what happens? He starts sinking. And to Peter's credit, the first thing he says, Jesus, help me. Sometimes that's the only time we cry out to God is when we're sinking. We should always be walking with him. We should be walking on that water with him at all times. But sometimes we forget and we start going our own way and we get distracted by the world. And Peter says, Jesus, help me. And that verse says, immediately he reaches out and grabs a hold of him. Immediately. Authentic faith, right? Knowing that the God you worship is authentic and worthy. And he's not going to destine you to fail. You know, we, we have a life that's full of peaks and valleys. We have our ups, we have our downs. But we know that God is always there at the peak pulling us up out of those valleys. We have to have faith in that. We have to understand that, that, you know what, there's something in this valley that I'm supposed to learn. What is it, God? What are you teaching me right now? What do you want me to do? We need to reach out to God and not look at the waves around us and feel like we're going to drown because God's got you. That's what authentic faith looks like, knowing that you're going to be okay. You're going to be all right because the second you cry out, he's immediately going to help you, right? And, and sometimes it's not the way that we expect it, you know? I, I, have, I have fallen prey to that myself. Being God myself, I have it pictured in my mind exactly how something's supposed to work out. I know that this is how it's supposed to work out. I look at my, my, my work career as a perfect example I have worked on jobs that I absolutely love the people I work with. 
absolutely love the people I work with. There was one crew uh, that we had Bible studies at lunch. And it was absolutely amazing that at that point, I could be the authentic me. I didn't have to be that tough construction worker. I could be authentic with those guys and do a Bible study at lunch. And it was amazing. I love those guys. And I'm still friends with those guys. I still talk to those guys. But I lost that job. You know, I'm in construction. You work yourself out of a job. When you're done building, well, there's nothing left for you to do. And at that time, I remember like, oh, God, why? Why? Why would you do this to me? Oh, God, this is horrible. I just lost this job with my friends that I love and value and cherish. I didn't lose my friends. You know what? The next job I got was even better. And it took me a while to realize that. Oh, my gosh, I'm making more money. Oh, my gosh, I have more responsibility. I have more say in what I'm doing. The tools are cooler. The job that I'm building is bigger and better. Oh, this is awesome. And then I work myself out of a job and I lose that job. God, why? Right? And I just went through that. Where's my faith in that? God is doing things in your lives that sometimes well, we just don't understand. But we got to know that God is doing something great with your life right now. If you look back on your life from where you were to where you are, Oh, man, what a magnificent journey that is. And you have to have faith that it's still going because you're still here, right? Life is a lesson. You learn it when you're through. Thank you, Fred Durst. But, but yeah, Limp Biscuit. if some of you guys don't know that one, I'm sorry. That's, you know. So anyways, who said seriously? I'll pray for you later. Okay. Limp Biscuit was great. Chocolate starfish, genius. Not really, I was just kidding. I mean, that was a stupid name. But, but anyways, so authentic God and authentic faith equals the next step. You ready, Anthony? Come on up. Okay. You can do this. Your dad's watching. I figured it out. There you Sick. go. Hey, how's it going? Hey. Okay, this comes from... Um, Daniel chapter 6, 5 through 11, it says, So they concluded our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. So the administrators and high officers went to king and said, Long live King Darius. Um, we are all in agreement. We administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors that the king should, give, should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays anyone divine or human except you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. And now, your majesty, issue and sign this law so it cannot be changed. Um, an official law of... Dude, I don't have glasses. <laughs> you know what you do? You just kind of mumble it a little bit. They don't know what you're saying. Okay. <laughs> and Persians cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law. But when Did you guys hear that, by the way? I was trying to whisper. Okay, go ahead. Okay. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room. 
with its windows open towards Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to God. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. That's it. It's okay. You can chant, Anthony, Anthony. Okay. So, yes. Yes. So, so we're looking at Daniel, and we're talking about authentic living, right? Living an authentic life. That is our goal, is to live an authentic life for God, right? So we look at Daniel. Daniel, back in the day, uh, the kingdom was captured. So the king went out and grabbed the best-looking and smartest individuals to come learn their ways, learn their language, learn everything. And one of those men was Daniel, okay? And so the king in his wisdom thinks, okay, these are the best and brightest of all these nations that we've conquered. We want to teach them our ways, our writing, our stuff. So in that, he was going to feed them from the king's table. King's table, that sounds like a great restaurant name, okay? Uh, So anyways, he was feeding them from the king's table, and Daniel sees that the food is not what God told them to eat. Right? Now, now, they're captive. Right? They could, at this point, they have no rights. They have nothing. But Daniel stood up and said, hey, I can't eat this. So I'll tell you what. Why don't you feed me and my homies here vegetables and water? You know, and monitor us. If I remember right, it was like 10 days. Why don't you, why don't you monitor us and see how we're doing? Because this food is not what we're supposed to eat. So, so okay, let's try it. And after that period of time, he monitored them. They were in better health than everybody else because they were living that authentic life. They were doing what God told them to do no matter the circumstances. And, and I know that outside of these four walls, it's hard. It's really hard. There's struggles that, that I know all men go through outside of these four walls, and, and, and it's hard. But we have to live that authentic life and be true to our God and ourselves. And that's what Daniel did, and he came through better for it. He, he was put into a position of power and leadership. Rakshak and Benny went to the furnace and didn't burn up, right? Remember that? That was a part of that story as well. But Daniel became a part of the leadership of the kingdom. If I remember right, he was like the third most powerful man in the kingdom because he was faithful. Because he knew that he worshipped an authentic God. So he was living an authentic life. And in that was being blessed for it. Now the world looks at that and they get envious. They get bitter. Right? So they figured the only way that they could get back at Daniel, because he was a righteous man, was to involve his God in his downfall. So they went to the king and said, King, oh, you're so mighty. Oh, you're so great. We should worship the ground you walk on. As a matter of fact, I know I'm paraphrasing. As a matter of fact, let's make a law that says for the next 30 days, the only person, the only God that gets worshiped is going to be you. Right? We're going to worship this man that sits on a throne. And Daniel, I'm going to worship the God that sits on a throne, that reigns over everything. I'm going to be true to my God no matter the circumstances. 
knowing that this could very well mean his death. Knowing that the rest of the world is out to get him, he still chose to be the man that God created him to be. And sure enough, they come in. They grab him. Oh, you disobeyed the law. You're a lawbreaker. No, God's law trumps all, right? So they grab him and they, you know, the king, the king was kind of distressed about it. It's not that the king wanted to do anything to Daniel. He valued Daniel. Daniel, like I said, was the third most powerful man in his kingdom. He doesn't want to, but he signed this. He had to. He felt he had to because he signed this law. Now we know, we know that he could have said, no, I'm going to pardon him. But he let the influences around him dictate his actions. Right? That's what the world does. You know, some, some movie star comes out or, or, or athlete comes out with new shoes and those are the ones we got to get. You know, somebody walks down on the red carpet in a certain dress. Oh my gosh, that's the dress I got to get. Kevin Fry has a lot of them. So anyways... Hey, he gave me permission, okay? He gave me permission on Wednesday that I could talk about him. So, and he said he'd listen to the recording, so love you, man. So, anyways, uh, he, he fell prey to that thing called peer pressure. I remember peer pressure when I was 11 years old. All these older kids told me I needed to smoke, so hey, I smoked. It wasn't because I wanted to choke on a cancer stick, it was but I wanted to be cool. But peer pressure, he, he could have. The story could have been different. However, if the story was any different, it wouldn't be as impactful as it truly is. He, Daniel got thrown into the lion's den. They rolled the stone and sealed, sealed the lion's den, and the king didn't eat anything. He didn't have any entertainment brought to his chambers that night. He couldn't sleep because he, he was so distressed over what he had done to Daniel. He wakes, well, he gets up in the morning runs to the lion's den, and he's like, Daniel, are you there? He wasn't expecting an answer. What he got was a miracle. I'm here. Open up, open up the, the lion's den, and out comes Daniel. Not only does Daniel come out, but he comes out without a scratch on him. You guys, I have a little cat, okay? <laughs> and, and, my, my little cat, which we actually just had to give away because we're, we're moving to Hawaii and I'm still sad, but, but my little cat loves to be petted, just loves it. And what's really cool is my cat loves me, okay? She'll come over to me and she'll like, ooh, pet me, and I'm petting the cat. All of a sudden, she'll roll over on her back and expose her stomach, and I'm like, oh. And the second I touch her belly, she, she scratches me so bad, it's crazy. But that's her game. She loves that. So imagine these big kittens, right? Oh, right? He comes out of the lion's den without a single scratch, with nothing. And the king is like, oh, my God. Daniel could have said, well, I have a thing with cats. Cats love me, right? But he says, my Lord, my God, Close their mouths. Wow. Wow. Can you imagine being that king like, oh, whoa, whoa, right? So what does he do with the people that framed Daniel? Throws him in the lion's den. Were those kitties nice? 
They ground their bones. The Bible says he ground. Not only did they, you're dead. They did, you're dead, and ah, now you're really dead. I don't know how much more dead you can get, but they made them really, really dead, right? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Just kind of, maybe they were zombies or something. I don't know, but well, the Walking Dead, they stopped, a, they stopped the outbreak before it happened. But, but the thing is, is, is living that authentic life is recognizable by the people around you. They recognize you for who you are and, and what you do. And you'll be surprised with the people that come up to you and what they have to say to you. You know, I've told this story to my youth many times. I was on a job site, and I called this guy Little Nicky, okay? It's, uh, Little Nicky is, is an Adam Sandler movie. I don't recommend it for everybody here, but, but he's the son of the devil and an angel, okay? That tells you right there. I probably shouldn't have admitted on stage, but it's my last time here, so, okay. So anyways, I love the movie. I think it's absolutely hilarious, and uh, so anyways, I call this guy Little Nicky because he's got, on his hard hat, he has all these, like, these stickers, these bands that, you know, with pentagrams and demons and all that stuff. And the very first time I walked up to him, he says, I worship Satan or however he did it. However you're supposed to do it. I don't even know how you're supposed to do it. But yeah, something like that. Whatever. Whatever he did, I worship Satan. Now, the reason he did that is because we had another girl, bless her heart, named Robin. That was a hardcore Christian that walked right up to him. You need Jesus. She didn't lie. Okay. But the thing is, is he found out I was a Christian and he didn't want the same episode to happen again. So as soon as I walked up, get away from me. Like, Whoa, bro, I'm just telling you I need you to do this. I was his boss. <laughs> God places you where you need to be, okay? So, so I'm like, hey, man, I'm just telling you I need you to do this and this and this over here. I'm not here to, I'm not here to preach to you. I don't care, you know, whatever, you know. And so, so we, built, we built this friendship, and I called him Little Nicky, and amazingly enough, he'd seen the movie. Okay, so, so I called him Little Nicky. One day, I come into work, and he walks up to me, and he's got all those stickers in his hand. He peeled them all off his hard hat and comes to me and says, I want to be like you. I wouldn't wish that on anybody, okay? <laughs> but, but he does. He comes to me and says, I want to be like you. Can I go to your church? And the look on his face was like I was going to say no. You know? Like, like he told me to get away because he worships Satan. You know? If there's anybody I want in church, that would be him, right? But he didn't understand that because he was caught up in the world. And I wasn't doing anything. I never said, you need God. You need Jesus, just like Robin did. All I did was be me. Be authentic. Be who I was supposed to be, and I treated him good. I didn't take that personal. I didn't, oh, I hate that guy. I could have literally fired him that day. I, I had every grounds to, to fire him. I could have said he refused to do the work that I was trying to tell him because he wouldn't listen to me, right? I could have gotten rid of him, but I didn't. So he came to Grace Chapel. He came to Grace Chapel, and I want to say, like, he came here Maybe it was three times later when he finally accepted Christ. Right? And, and like I get little Nicky, little Nicky tidbits here and there because I'm not an operator. He was an operator. I'm a, I'm a pipe fitter. Uh, but every once in a while, I'll run into somebody that knows him. He lives down in Lakeside or Santee. Those are both like the same city to me. But, uh, but he's going strong. He, he's still going to church down there, and he's going strong, and he's a brother in Christ. And I get no credit for this. 
God created me to be me. So in being me, God worked through me. And it spoke to him at a place that he needed to be spoke to, at work. And he got to know that if he needed to talk to me, he could talk to me. If he needed something, I was there. And like I said, he, he, looked, he looked exactly like he was going to be rejected. And I didn't. And that's what God calls us to be, is ourselves. So the way to that is two-stepped. Like I said, authentic God, authentic faith, faith equals authentic living. Amen? So, in that, in that, I challenge you guys that when you're, when you're in your, your war room, so to speak, or when you're praying, think about it. God, am I authentic? Is there any, any part of my life that I need, to, I need to repent? God, I need to be the man or woman that you created me to be. What's holding me back? If nothing's holding you back, charge forward. If something's holding you back, dump it and charge forward. Okay? You guys, you guys with me on that? All right. So that's all I have to say. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this message. This weekly podcast is available on our website, gracevcf.org, where you can learn more about Grace Vineyard and our vision for people everywhere to know and worship God.